Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Good morning, church. It's... Um once again, it is good to see some of you and to gather together. It is a privilege together, even though it is online. It's still good. I have to admit that I can't wait for us together in person again. Um, I'm tired of singing by myself. I can even see that as Sechemetse and Alison and Khunse were, were, were singing together, they were keeping it quite quiet as they were singing with one another. We need a larger crowd to be able to sing. We need a larger crowd to really enjoy the worship together. And so next week is going to be good. Uh, we're probably going to have an extended time of worship, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, that prayer session was, even though it was hefty and it was beefy, it was so good. It was so good to be able to pray for Pretoria and for the different industries in our city and in our country. It's a good thing that we'll be doing especially in this series as we're heading towards the end of it next week also i want to invite us cranker is going to be preaching so it's going to be preaching up a storm so you guys do not want to miss that that's going to be a lot of fun um this morning psalm is is pretty cool it's one of those that we need that gives us perspective on who god is what he is doing and who we are and so There's been a lot of prayer, but I'll pray short, I promise. But we do need extra prayer just for our heart as we're going to hear and digest God's word. Let me just check. Everyone can, everyone hear me okay? Is the internet connection fine? Great, getting thumbs up. Let's pray. Father God, we do now pray for your word. Your word is perfect, but our hearts are fickle. Uh, Our attention span is short. We need your spirits to soften our hearts to keep our minds occupied and, and, and just uh, grappled with the truth of the gospel. Do this now for your glory. Amen. Family, no matter what the situation in our world, it always seems like you always will find conspiracy theories, no matter what is happening. From those who don't believe that the moon landing really happened, to 9-11 being planned by the American government, to 5G being developed to control our minds, to even corona vaccines being orchestrated by all the world's governments to somehow control us. Now I think there's a very good reason why we have so many different conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists out there. Um, It is because we somehow believe and we all somehow know deep down in our hearts that we all yearn for power and control. We all want to have more control and more power over the people around us. And so if that's true of our hearts, why wouldn't those who have already got power not seek to abuse it? I mean, if I was in control, I would know that I would probably do some interesting stuff. And so what this does, it gives birth to all these weird theories that people come up with. Because we all know and somehow believe that no matter who you are in the world, once you are in power, once you seek to gain power, will somehow try to manipulate it to have ultimate power. 
And uh, even though I'm not saying that I believe all these conspiracy theories, um, or any of them, but it would be interesting to somehow one day discover which ones of those were in fact true and which ones were not. I'm especially interested in the Illuminati and what's going on there. But uh, nevertheless, what we need to realize this morning is that uh, the ultimate form of power grabbing is actually not through world domination. The ultimate form of power grabbing is by not acknowledging the one true king that God has put in place. And so even this morning, and even as the psalm will be referring to different kings and rulers and those in authority, um, and, and speaking to those that have power, we need to realize this morning that this psalm speaks to every one of us and everyone's heart and our disposition to the king. As we dive into the psalm, we've got to ask ourselves the question, where are you in relation to the king that God has set up? Where's your heart? What is your disposition to the reign that he has over this world? And this is something that the psalm will address very directly. And so let's dive in. The psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 2, is a royal or messianic psalm. It is a psalm that the people of God used to sing to remind them of the promises of God. So to fully understand what this psalm is all about, what we need to do is give some context around the expectations and the hopes and dreams that the Israelites had and the promises that they were placing their hope on and being reminded about. And so the primary promise, if you were an Israelite, a Jew back in the day, the one promise, the big one that everyone knew about and that basically the whole foundation of their faith was built on was the promise that God gave to Abraham when he called him to serve him only. And so remember, Abraham is the guy um, through which the descendants from Abraham, the nation of Israel, was formed. He is literally the father of the nation. And so as God called Abraham, this is the promise that he gave to him in Genesis 12 from verses 1 to 3. Read along with me. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God promises Abraham and he promises the people of Israel a place or a land. He promises that they'll be a great nation and he promises that they will experience God's blessing. And even more than that, that they will be a blessing to all the nations on earth. It's an amazing promise and this promise we see being developed and colored in and given more detail throughout the whole Old Testament. Time and time and time again, God gives glimpses of how he is going to fulfill this promise, what this promise will look like when it comes to ultimate fulfillment. And one particular time during the Old Testament where this almost seemed like it was going to reach its fulfillment was during the monarchy, was during the time of the kings. We see that during this time when God used kings to rule over his people, that um, 
God anoints a servant, that he anoints a specific person to lead his people. Literally what would happen is a prophet would go with oil and would pour it over the newly appointed servant that was going to be king, thereby anointing him and signaling that this is the person whom God has chosen to lead and reign over his people. This is the anointed one through whom God would work to bring to fulfillment the promises that he has made. And this is the place in the Bible where we actually get the term God's anointed, that one that was chosen to reign. And so the, what's interesting about this, the Hebrew and Greek transliterations of this word means Messiah or Christ. And so when David became king over Israel, it almost seemed like God was at long last bringing to fulfillment everything that he had spoken, all the promises that he had made. Israel was at that stage a great nation. They were experiencing tremendous blessing through God's chosen leader, David. And even the nations around them were enjoying this blessing as well. However, at the end of David's life, we see and we recognize that no, it's not going to be David. It's not going to be David through whom God was going to bring to fulfillment all his promises. There was a glimmer of hope, but was taken away. And it must have been super disappointing to the Israelites at that time. They were hoping, yearning that at long last the promise was going to come true. They've been waiting for so long. And then it turned out it wasn't going to be David. However... At the end of David's life, God colored in the picture a little bit more. He gave further hope to this promise that he had made through Abraham. He gave an extra promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 to 16. God speaks to David and he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is once again an amazing promise that God is making to David. God will establish kingdoms or David's kingdom forever. One of his offspring, God will raise up to be a king and he will be like a son of God. He will reign forever. And now for the first time, Israel doesn't have to wonder how God is going to fulfill his promise. He, they know that he will do it. God will do this through his anointed king that will come out of the offspring of David. And so every time things looked bleak to the nation, to the nation of Israel, they would simply remind themselves of this covenant made with the house of David. No matter what is happening, no matter how dark the days are, they know the promises that were made through, through Abraham. They know how that promises are going to come to fulfillment through the promise made with David, through the anointed king that will reign forever. 
And so as the psalmist is reflecting on these great promises, they remind themselves of the following. And in the beginning of um, the psalm with this first three verses, read with me how they start out the psalm. The psalmist asks the questions, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It's as if the psalmist is asking the rulers of the earth, What are you doing? The question itself reveals that he believes that whatever their plans are, there's a futility around it. These kings and rulers that are conspiring together against the Lord's anointed, saying, surely we will escape is his rule. We will be our own masters. They're like little children. I don't know if you've ever seen this with kids, maybe in a show. But uh, have you ever seen kids that plan to do something uh, against adults? They plan to, they're going to bamboozle an adult or they're going to overthrow the adults. The first mistake that kids normally make is they plan these things in front of the adults. And so the adults hear this. Uh, They even share their plan with the adults, how they're going to overthrow them. And then they try to execute it. It's adorable, but it's useless. With one body slam, I can wipe them out. And so... um, This is what the rulers of the earth are doing when they say they set themselves against God. They might think that they're in control. They might have the illusion that they somehow move the chess pieces around. However, in comparison to God, it's child's play. See how God reacts to their scheming, to the rulers wanting to be in control in verses 4 to 6. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to him to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It's not even a threat. God mocks them. There's an alarmingly finality to God's statement. This is the only line in the psalm that comes from God. And he says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's it. Zion and God's holy hill is a reference to Jerusalem and the symbolic seat of power through the offspring of David. God doesn't need to give any further explanation. God's word is authority and power. If he says this is what will happen, it will happen. There's no argument. There's no further explanation that God gives why this is going to happen. This is simply surely what will happen. The psalmist then helps us, the rest of us, the audience, to understand and the rest of the rulers of mankind why this will happen. What are the decrees? What are the promises that this word of God rests on? Read with me the rest of the psalm from 7 to 12. The psalmist says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in them. This is the decree of the Lord. He will put his ruler to reign, and the nations will be his heritage. The ends of the earth his possession. He will break those who resist him with a rod of iron. It will be as if they are made of clay, brittle, and easily broken. This is what the Lord has decreed. And this is reassuring and hopeful. Later on, even in the New Testament, we see this reaffirmed in Revelation 2 verses 26 and 27. By the mouth of the prophet John, he speaks and he says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and so family we we see this and we make the connection post the cross that this has been achieved through Jesus the anointed Christ we know this because Jesus is introduced in the gospels as Tembo read for us in the beginning as the when the Holy Spirit descended on him as the Son of God, the whom and the Son in whom God is well pleased, the beloved Son of God. Not only is this the Son of God, but this is the Son who fully pleases his God and his Father. This is the one who at long last is going to be the one who follows God with his whole heart, who's not going to drift away. We see this is Jesus because he is all also disciplined with the rod of men, with the stripes of men, not because of his disobedience, but because of ours. We see this is Jesus because he ran the race. He fought the good fight until his death. He never gave in. We see this is Jesus because he conquered in a way that we never thought possible. He conquered sin and the grave. We see this is Jesus because he rose on high and God has bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every tongue should acknowledge and every knee should bow and confess that Jesus is the Lord the ruler to the glory of God the Father and so family the plain and simple truth of the matter is Jesus God's anointed reigns he is the one that is in complete control nothing will change that fact it has already been accomplished the only thing left to discuss this morning is our response to him reigning and no matter who you are this morning, there are only one of two responses that you can give. As put out by Psalm 2 that we're going to discuss right now. Especially we see this in verses 9 to 12. Either you will deny him, which is futility, or you will submit to him, which is wisdom. And so let's talk about the futility for a moment. As sure as the setting of the sun, this time on earth will come to an end. 
And finally, it will be revealed to all nations that Jesus is King. To deny this fact that it will happen and to deny His authority is not just futility, but it's foolishness. Instead of celebrating this and celebrating Jesus' kingship, peoples are trying to hold on to their seemingly position of power. What we should be doing and what we should be praying is for people to see their futility. For people to recognize that whatever power they might have right now is short-lived. This Jesus who so loved the world that he gave his life for her will also judge the world. Verse 12 says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in this, in him. Even though I know this, I sometimes fail to grasp the seriousness of the situation. But make no mistake, family, people who do not submit in reverence to Christ will perish. Family, what this should do is is create an urgency amongst ourselves to really live missionally. We want people to come to know Christ, yes, because He is a good King, yes, because we enjoy Him, and enjoying Him means enjoying life, but also because we know that to resist Him means destruction. To kiss the Son is an expression that means to pay homage to the King. And so maybe you need to hear this this morning. Maybe you've been introduced to a Jesus uh, that's always pictured with a lamb, the, the loving Jesus, the Jesus who came and gave himself for the whole world. He loved the world so much that he gave him himself for it. But maybe you need to know and hear this morning as well, kiss the son lest he gets angry. He is worthy to be served. But he has also made it possible to be served. Normally with any other king, um, even after his enemies pays allegiance to them, he would still want to execute some form of judgment. You were on the opposing team or you were part of the enemies and you're recognizing we're not going to fight this battle. And so you're putting down your swords and you're saying, okay, we surrender, we're coming to your side. Then normally what would happen is the, the king that has won wouldn't just receive them with open arms. There would be some form of payment necessary for you to switch sides. Family, this is the good news of serving our Lord Jesus. He has taken the payment. He has taken the wrath, the judgment on himself so that you can freely turn your allegiances to him without any fear of further punishment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And this brings us to our second application point this morning. To submit to Christ as wisdom. Many of us would uh, definitely call ourselves Christians. We've already submitted to Christ. We've bowed our knee. We're in the camp of Jesus. So we're good. Similarly, I think we, we might tend to forget what this means for us. What are the applications, the implications of what it means to be a servant of Christ, to be a subject of Christ. Listen again to the words described in this psalm, what the response should be. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. This doesn't mean that we are 
afraid of God, that we don't want to come near God, but we need to have this holy reverence of who Jesus is. He is the general king commanding all the armies of the heavenly beings. He has all power and authority. He is the one who creates out of nothing. We are but clay before him. Fragile, brittle, easily broken. It means that we are in awe of who Jesus is. And this awe should move us to serve him more faithfully, to obey him faithfully. Just as Jesus expects his foes to bow the knee before him, so he also expects from us, his servants, to obey him. Jesus the, King's desire, Jesus the King desires his subjects to be obedient to him. This should also create a seriousness amongst one another in how we serve Jesus. The focus should always be Jesus. The reason why we have DNA groups and why we gather is, yes, so that we can grow in our spiritual maturity, but it's not so that we can be better people and feel better about ourselves. It's so that we can serve our good King better. disappeared for a moment because I've forgotten to plug in my computer. There we go. I was always going to be gone. <laughs> and so the, the motivation, the focus can't be self-centric of why we serve the king. It's not merely for our own betterment or what he can give us. Rather, it is what we can give our king. He is not the royal vending machine. He is not the royal genie simply here to give us what we need. We are here to submit to a good king. If your motivation is only about you and what you should do and how you should act and how you want to be a better person, it's never going to be enough to really help you grow in your sanctification. You will eventually arrive at a place where you think, no, I'm, I'm pretty happy with who I am. I'm pretty happy with my maturity. I'm pretty happy with how I have it in life right now. And that's why we as Christians, our sanctification, the motivation to grow in our sanctification lies outside of ourselves. It lies within obeying and serving the good King Jesus. It's always bigger than ourselves. So therefore, this morning church, I want to encourage us to be serious about our sanctification not to play around with sin, but to kill it where we see it in our lives. To consciously make an effort with our obedience to Christ. Jesus the King will not tolerate sin in our midst. He will be so serious about His bride and the purity of His bride that He will close this church if He believes that we are not serious about sin. Yes, there is forgiveness. But where we hide our sin, we cannot ask for that forgiveness. One of the very practical ways that we can do this is by really pulling closer into our DNA groups. To build trust and relationships with those men and women in our groups so that we can share and be honest with where our hearts are at. And at the same time to hear the gospel preached to our hearts. To be encouraged to believe and live out the gospel all the more. 
We can only apply and share the gospel to those situations that we know of. When we hide our sin, we do not hear the gospel. We do not have the opportunity to bow the knee when we are disobedient. However, once again, equally good news as there is for those who haven't yet turned to Christ. For us, there is grace and abundance who make Jesus their refuge, who confess their sins and turn to Him. Family, know this, that not only is this true of those who turn to Christ, but Christ in His Spirit wants to help us, wants to convict us, wants to help us turn back and recognize Him as the King. And in closing... And thinking about this, and as we're going to play this out in the weeks and the chaos ahead, as we see the chaos of the world around us, as we see those trying to have control, even as our hearts maybe want to believe conspiracy theories or who's really in control of this situation, we need to remind ourselves that there is one king and he has absolute power. He is in control. Why do the nations rage? Why do the nations plot in vain? The Lord holds them in derision. And the way that we really believe this family is by personally and communally committing ourselves to Christ. The more that we take our own sanctification and obedience to this Christ seriously, the more it will put our own hearts at ease as we see the chaos around us. And I want to encourage us as a church to be faithful servants of this ruler Christ. To not allow the waves of this world to crash over us in such a way that we do not believe that beautiful truth. Jesus is the Lord and He reigns. He is in control. Even though we know that the hearts of men will want to grab power, we want to see that we always want to try and seize control. We are at ease because we know that resistance is futile and submission means blessing and protection. Let me pray for us. Father God, in this in these trying times as we've been um just faced with so many different challenges and even being removed one another from one another, it can be so easy to believe the lie that someone else is in control, that someone else is truly reigning, that someone else is exercising power, that somehow Satan or rulers or kings have the upper hand. Father, it's refreshing to once again see this morning, not only do you not even entertain those thoughts, but you mock them, you hold them in derision, because you have already set your king on your holy hill. We thank you, not only for the promises, but for the realization of those promises in Jesus Christ. We know that through the resurrection and through his ascension into heaven, that was part of his coronation ceremony making Him the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we look forward to the day when this will be revealed to all people. But in the meantime, help our hearts to believe this. Help our hearts to confess to this fact. Help our hearts to also encourage us to live missionally, to call other people to repentance, to live in submission to your King. Amen.